You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, women and innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male-driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. Today, I'm joined by former Chief Strategy Officer for Future Brand North America, Inshala Anderson. With immense experience developed through engagements from packaged goods to retail banking, Inshala was responsible for leading the charge for consumer brands at Future Brand, including Gap, Facebook, and Bell Helicopter. Before her tenure at Future Brand, Inshala served as Senior Director of Brand Strategy at Siegel & Gale, where she oversaw comprehensive naming, brand strategy, architecture, and identity programs, as well as a director in the consumer practice of Evaldi Partners and on the global marketing team at Avon. As we start, uh, please share a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you went to school, and what you studied. So firstly, before we jump into all of it, I have always been a believer that a career is really um, an aggregate of chapters. And what you'll find is my chapters are not exactly kind of neatly tethered to each other. I've sort of done some exploratory paths, which have led me to where I am today. But I'm always grateful for the breadth of experience that experiences that I've had. Uh, just in terms of background, um, I'm originally from Queens, New York. I went to public school uh, pretty much up until I started high school and then had the um, amazing opportunity to go to a boarding school in New England. I went to Choate Rosemary Hall. And I would say that that was sort of a moment for me where if you think of sort of looking through an aperture, it widened and an incredible amount of sort of um, new opportunities, new experiences um, sort of flooded my path. Uh, you know, it just was sort of a great development space for me. For college, I went to the University of Pennsylvania. I was a history major. The minute I say that, it's like I was not in Wharton. I was a history major. And um, I've always been a big reader. I've always kind of appreciated the power of great stories. And I think for me, initially, the draw for history was the opportunity to kind of go beyond those sort of limited things that you learn through rote memorization and actually kind of like touch and, and sort of feel and understand the richness that comprises this nation from a storytelling perspective, particularly kind of some of the voices that are not often heard, people of color, women. So for me, that was really, really important. After graduating from college, I worked for a number of years at J.P. Morgan, and I was a fixed income analyst for the emerging markets. And it was really interesting and very different. I think I was kind of very compelled to see if I could sort of manage the analytical rigor because I wasn't in Wharton. I was a history major. And then I just kind of felt like, you know, it's not like high calculus is required. I can do this. But I worked at JP Morgan for about five years. It was an amazing experience um, working in New York and working in London. And then after that, I uh, made the decision that I wanted to go to business school for the purpose of, one, properly studying business versus sort of being in it. And I think this is sort of my intellectual nerd side. But I think also the recognition that I wanted to do a career pivot, but I didn't know what it was. I just knew I wanted to do something different. And while I liked working at J.P. Morgan, I don't think it sort of fulfilled all the creativity that sort of rested within me that I wanted to kind of bring out and, and share. 
And so kind of after business school, I worked for a period of time in management consulting, but um, always kind of drawn towards consumer brands. And ultimately, uh, kind of after a couple of years doing management consulting, I went over to the client side. I worked at Avon and you know, it was illuminating. I think it's always really exciting to understand what does beauty mean around the world? And the definition of it, the expression of it, what is beautiful can mean so many different things to women in different places. So I think that for me was really intriguing. People always think of Avon as a um, as an American brand. But at the time when um, I worked for Avon, um, a third of its revenue came from uh, non-U.S. markets, uh, markets like Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, but then also nascent markets like Turkey, for example. So, you know, it all was really pretty interesting. I worked on the client side for a couple of years. And then as I moved into motherhood, I moved over to agency life and worked at three different agencies. Uh, first, Vivaldi Partners, then Siegel and Gale, and most recently at Future Brand. And I think as a strategist, I sort of brought my analytical training that I was grounded in when I was at JP Morgan, but then also from my management consulting experience brought um, an appreciation for corporate strategy or business strategy. And then, you know, with the more recent work that I did in um, on the client side at Avon, but also with the other agency work that I did, um, it really kind of helped uh, grow my branding skills. And kind of, you know, the ability to take a brand, whether it's a corporate brand or a consumer brand, and really ensure that its narrative, its story is kind of capturing the hopes and ambitions of both their corporation, but also their consumer set. Like it really speaks and resonates to the audiences that they serve. So, so incredible. And I I really liked how you were talking about starting off and it not being necessarily as linear as most people kind of imagine their career. So I think something I'd be really curious to hear was, you know, was there always an invisible string tying everything along or really guiding you from one place to another? Or was there a bigger goal or a five-year plan that you had envisioned that you felt like you were moving towards with each one of those careers? So let me unpack your question and answer it in a few ways. I think firstly, one, um, to an outsider, I'm not sure if my trajectory would suggest that there's a through line. But for me, I think I have always loved looking at companies, understanding uh, what makes them tick and appreciating, let's just call it the healthiness of a given company. I think when I worked in financial services, the metrics or manner of analysis was very limited. It was really about financial ratios and it was focused on financial health with a little bit of consideration in terms of the capability set of that executive team that's responsible for the numbers that have been promised to the street. As I started to think about kind of what I wanted to do, I wanted to go beyond just that financial assessment of of brand health or corporate health and sort of bring more variables into the equation. And so for me, I think I've sort of taken different steps towards appreciating appreciating a company and sort of dimensionalizing um, uh, its strengths 
And that has been from sort of a financial perspective. When I looked at management consulting, there were some core sort of like business strategy uh, lenses that I applied. And then moving into branding and kind of having that creative overlay and an eye towards innovation, I think that all has helped. But I I do want to say, and I always feel... um, uh, kind of delinquent when I say this is I didn't have a master plan. I didn't have clarity of what I wanted to do, you know, in the future. But I can tell you that as I thought of each step and sort of as I embarked on each chapter, there were, there were and there are, um, sort of a constant set of qualities that are always very important to me. It may not necessarily be, I want this job in five years, but there are certain things that I seek, which is one, being in an environment that really compels and stimulates my intellectual curiosity. I love thinking. I love sort of dissecting a problem. I'm incredibly analytical. That is who I am. And so I know for me to be in an environment like that, that sort of um, ability to do analysis, it feeds me. And to sort of like grapple with the problem, whatever that is. So that intellectual curiosity being fed. I'm also a person who is very driven by growth. And the growth is not just defined in a new title or this, but it's really kind of just thinking about like, can I try new things? Is this pushing me in a new direction? Like, how do I continue to find a platform or runway for my development for my craft. And I think that's really important because I like to feel that I'm growing, that I'm developing, that I'm sort of building new skills. And so kind of holistically, that is really important. And then I would say, you know, this is a third component. Working in a cultural context where I feel like I'm affirmed by the culture, that I feel like it is an environment that you know, sort of respects who I am, but more importantly, that values kind of who I am and not just in terms of a practitioner, but for me as a person and some of the sort of values that I bring to the table and how I operate. So I would say those are the three things. One, feeding my intellectual curiosity. Two, ensuring that there's a runway for growth so that I don't kind of start to have that feeling of stagnation. And then thirdly, that I'm in sort of a, an affirming culture where I can work with others of a shared value set. Um, that's really important. The last piece, and I recognize I'm older, <laughs> but I have to add this to the equation, is in the last like 10 years, like being a mom. And I think for me, I have an amazing partner. He is he is as foundational in the raising of our children as I am. But when I decided to become a parent, I think there was a strong desire to participate and be present in a very specific way. Don't get me wrong. I have an abundance of um, help. But I do think they're discrete things that are my task and my job as the mother of my children and having the space to kind of, and it will be a juggling act for everyone, but having the space to try and pursue both is very important to me to be an effective professional, but I think also to be a good mom. That, that, that's a big part as well. So, so much to unpack. And I, I'm really looking forward to chatting more about, you know, the role of motherhood and the role of gender. Something that really 
caught my attention was this idea of affirmation that you discussed. I think women tend to have this imposter syndrome more often than men, whether that's earlier on in their career or later in that career. So when you speak about affirmation, was there a time that you experienced imposter syndrome? And if so, how did it play out for you? We all do. Um, and I don't know if it ever really goes away. But but I do think I recognize and I think of like my young self when I started working ages ago, that I was that quiet girl. I struggled to assert myself. I struggled to find my voice. I was confident that I had things to offer, but I wasn't always confident in terms of just sort of managing the dynamic of how you insert yourself, you know, how you get into the discussion. And also, I, I come from sort of a culture and a family household style that where I was like quick to defer. I think for me, it was sort of that journey to realize like what you say has value that there's worth to it, that you are a rigorous thinker. And so this is not like a flippant comment that you're putting on the table. And I think it's just over time with repetition, having the benefit of not just finding your voice, but growing strong in who you are and and bringing that to your place of work, bringing that into uh, the relationships that you have with your colleagues. So I think for me, it's been a little bit of a journey, like finding my voice. I wasn't really a public speaker. I was very uncomfortable with it. I, I And I benefited from having different people throughout my career provide encouragement that um, enabled me to feel more comfortable in my skin. And I, I am always so grateful for that. I think those individuals that whether there is a formal mentor relationship or an informal one, kind of offering them themselves up to that next generation of talent, especially working in branding, because branding is sort of a sage apprentice model. Like, sure, you can take a couple of classes, but like, it's not like finance or accounting. It's, it's, a, it's a very nascent field. Branding is probably like maybe 40 years old. So when you look at it, a lot of the learning and development comes from working with the senior people and in your agency. And the hope is that they take that time to help you develop, not just as a practitioner, but also as a leader. And so when you were developing those, you know, those relationships, those skills and moving forward in your career, was there a time that you looked around and suddenly you were at that mid-career level and realized it's kind of that moment to to break through? As I mentioned, like my career is not a straight line. So it wasn't always exactly like you do this to get here, to get there. Like I kind of have these chapters. So I think one of the things that was a little bit difficult was helping people in a new industry appreciate the skills that I had from a different industry. That there was strength that I was bringing to the table, that there was experience and maturity that I was bringing to the table, that even though I couldn't be assessed exactly like everyone else because I didn't work at this agency, then that agency, then that agency, I had come from, you know, I remember when I first sort of started to have this interest in, in branding and marketing. I started off at Avon in corporate strategy. I wasn't in the marketing department. I was in corporate strategy, which was, oh, we're doing an M&A opportunity. How do we assess that? 
you know, that's a very different role. But I think the important thing was helping people understand what my strengths were and wrapping them in a tangible narrative that they could grasp. That's very, very important. And I don't think that would be any different than, you know, someone who comes from, you know, any non-traditional role and moves into it. So I would say, firstly, one, that was one thing that I had to get really comfortable with is being able to explain my story and own my story. Even the fact that like, it wasn't, you know, 10 years doing the same thing at the same company. I think in addition to that, I don't know, maybe my experience is really different. I worked, you know, in finance on a trading floor, there were not a lot of women. So I don't know for me if there's like, there was this moment where I wanted to break through. You're always breaking through. <laughs> like, not everyone's excited for you to sit at the table. And so sometimes you just have to have sharp elbows and sit down. I, I think I had to get to a place where I had the confidence to feel like I was worthy to have that seat. And, you know, some of that comes from the interactions you have at work. Some of that comes from, I don't know, just my dad being one of my biggest cheerleaders and just saying like, you got this, you can do this. So, you know, I don't, I don't have like a magic formula, but I will say it's not just a journey to go from middle manager to senior. It's sometimes the journey is like just getting to the table and just participating, <laughs> you know, even as a junior person at the party, you know what I mean? Um, so, and I think sometimes you have to fight, demonstrate resilience and um, ingenuity to just get there. Is there a story around a, a failure or a challenge, you know, that you experienced and what did you, what did you learn from it? What did you take away from it? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a story I had from really early in my career. And um, I worked on the trading floor. I was a research analyst and we had a morning meeting every day. And if I had something to prepare, I would speak. But I didn't like sort of just joining the fray and jumping into the conversation. I just, I, I didn't do it. I was, I was very intimidated and I was uncomfortable. And I remember having a performance review and my boss said to me, we all would like to hear you more. While it was framed as a positive, the negative was he felt like I wasn't participating enough, that there was an opportunity for me to offer guidance both to sales as well as the traders and just to be more assertive in my opinion. And I think for me, that was, it was illuminating and it helped me understand, okay, I got to get a handle on this. So um, I think I may have mentioned I went to business school. I chose a business school where class participation is more than half your grade in some cases. So imagine you could pass the final but fail the class because you didn't speak. And when I looked at it, I was like, that's the school I need to go to. And for those of our listeners who don't know where you went to business school, I'll just say it, it's Harvard. So no big deal. <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I don't detract from the power of the brand. It's a great brand from an education perspective. But I will say the manner of teaching, which is largely the Socratic method, I mean, even for something like accounting or finance, you know, it's driven by cases. 
and this importance of participation that like, you know, you have to get comfortable speaking in a class of 80 people and not just once this, during the semester, but with frequency. And um, when I went to HPS, it was, I think my class was 21% female. So it was, you know, a lot of dudes. It was a very different environment. Um, I had never really been in an educational setting where women were in such a position of minority. Um, although I say that, and I've mentioned this twice to my sister who um, was an engineering student. And she was like, yeah, you talk to some other women who do engineering and they would have the same story to tell you. The numbers are very similar. So I think for me, it was it was a little bit surprising, but this whole quest that I've been on to to find my voice, to get to a place of comfort, to realize that there's value in my contribution, I don't take it lightly because I think that is not easy for many people. And I've really kind of had that like quiet girl syndrome. Um, I'm also just in terms of like personality, I'm an introvert. So like the like, you know, the big grandiose personality stuff is not me. But I realized that there were some adjustments that I had to make. And I like to tell people this because I think it's so important that when I say like, you know, oh, but at the end of the day, I'm an introvert. People are like, no, you're not. And I really am because I want people to feel that they can still be them and succeed in business. That business is not just the idea people or just, you know, the people are like highly expressive, that there is space at the table for different styles. And that's so important in terms of people feeling like there's, you know, merit to what they bring to the discussion. Absolutely. And I know that, you know, as we talk about a seat at the table and the organization, women in innovation, something that we know is that despite the advanced degrees and other things, women of color are least likely to hold leadership positions and most likely to hold line staff positions. So I would want to know as somebody who has succeeded against the odds, what role has gender played and and what advice would you give to somebody navigating that? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm sort of at the intersection of both gender and race and it can be tricky. I think, um, firstly, one, I'll talk about the importance of mentors or like a champion. And oftentimes people champion individuals that look like them, that they can see themselves in. And so, you know, being a woman and being a person of color, where sometimes I've worked in environments where there weren't many of either, (laughs) people don't readily see themselves in you. But that said, I have found people throughout my sort of career journey that have served as great champions for my talent and have been able to appreciate um, my strengths and the value that I create. You know, I think the advice I can offer is be resilient and be persistent and don't let someone else's know be your final answer. And has that changed throughout your career? Because obviously the challenges are, are more nuanced and different when you're just starting out or earlier on in your career and where you're at the most senior level where you know there are less and less both women and women of color. So does that advice change at all or does it stay the same? Well, I mean, firstly, one, I'll be the first to admit, like, sometimes it is very lonely because you don't see, like, if you will, your tribe. 
But I think one of the important things is one, to know your worth and benchmark it, understand the marketplace and what you bring to the table. And that's where sometimes if you don't readily have your tribe at work, make sure you have your tribe outside of work. And so there's a cluster of women who are working mothers that I'm friends with. We meet often, we talk to each other, we support each other, we provide guidance in terms of career um, paths. And that's very, very helpful. You know, I think if you can have that within your workplace, that's awesome. But if you don't have that within your workplace, it doesn't mean you don't need it. You just find it elsewhere. And I think that becomes really, really important because your your tribe can help you. I mean, I think back to when I first started to do public speaking um, at work in the morning meeting and there was a person and I was like, well, could you give me feedback, you know, so that I understand how I'm doing, where I can improve and so forth. And that was really helpful. And then, you know, and he and I were actually peers at the time, you know, and he and I would just provide feedback to each other, you know, and uh, that was really helpful guidance so that I could sort of continue to um, provide my perspective, but also, you know, understand how I needed to evolve and grow. Absolutely. So as you reach, you know, a peak growth in your career thus far, you roll at Future Brand. So for our listeners who don't know about Future Brand, could you tell us what it is and what is your role there uh, most recently? And what did that really entail? Yeah. So Future Brand is a full service branding agency. We provide brand strategy, which can encompass positioning or helping corporations identify their corporate purpose. But we also do design. So the creation of logos and visual identity systems, the way that you start to bring a brand to life from a visual perspective. There also is a tremendous verbal identity team that does work sort of establishing kind of a a tonality or clear tone of voice, if you will, for a brand. So we kind of run the gamut from an agency perspective in terms of being full service. And my role was chief strategy officer, you know, really kind of one, serving as a practitioner, but also leading the team and guiding the individuals on the team and making sure that we were as strong as we could be from sort of a strategic capabilities perspective, you know, in order to be competitive in the market. I also worked on the leadership team, so worked very closely with the other leaders for North America. And towards my last kind of near there, um, I also became very active within our business division with regard to diversity and inclusion. So that was sort of something I took on uh, more from a matter of interest. But my traditional kind of role was really focused squarely in terms of brand strategy. As far as the diversity and inclusion within that role, how did you navigate that? And, and what are some of the resources that were important for you to incorporate or to address as you took on that role? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key things, firstly, uh, we benefited from having a a survey tool to just sort of understand like where are some of the opportunity spaces. Uh, but I think the other part was just how do you start to bring diversity and kind of managing inclusively into the day-to-day work that we have? How does that manifest? What does it look like? And, you know, some of it is looking at systemic fixes and then some of it is really just sort of looking at things at an individual level. Absolutely. And here at Women in Innovation, we really do believe that when women innovate and are a part of the innovation process, we all ultimately win. We all want to create, you know, this better world. So how do you define innovation? 
I, I guess for me, innovation, you know, simply can be the creation of new, but I would look at it more profoundly where it's something at a level that is groundbreaking, that goes beyond sort of incremental change or difference and groundbreaking in a way that it it disrupts the norm. It changes behavior. It, you know, sort of solicits new responses from new audiences. And so I think innovation can manifest in so many different ways. But I, I think also kind of at the heart of it is an appetite for creativity and ingenuity and solving a problem in the best way that you can. Not leaning on formulas, not leaning on old ways, not necessarily discarding them, but having an appetite and interest to explore whatever to kind of lead you into um, a new reality. And, you know, you were at Future Brand for seven years. And so as you grew there and, and you know, developed new skills and made new impacts, what do you think are those best resources that have helped you along the way, both on the innovation side of things and, and growing the business, but also as a woman progressing in this industry? In terms of innovation, firstly, one as we take a step back, like the branding space has changed so much. You know, when I think about when I first started, it was positioning and a logo. And now that you see how people engage with brands, brands are just involved in consumer life in a way that's fundamentally different, you know, and also it is a conversation versus a one-way communication. So that's really important. And, and then also as people experience brands, like, the touch points are just multiplying, you know? And so like, uh, you know, I look at, I, you know, I just look at how people are engaging with brands on social media, you know, the evolution of TikTok and there's just so much that draws attention. And so I think one of the fundamental things is to have a solid agency, you have to change with the space. And so that may encompass bringing in new skills or new capabilities because people are expecting brands to not just be a manifestation on a business card, but now it's gone to a website. Now it's gone to physical environment. Now it's a pop-up store. Now it's like an app. Like That sort of nimbleness and agility is really, really important to be successful at branding today. So as you mentioned, this notion of innovation... I think the acknowledgement is that while there's strength in sort of knowing the past, you also have to accept that sometimes something, an old formula will not serve you in the future. And so always being open to new ideas, fresh thinking, different ways, that's really very important. Thank you so much for that. And a question that we ask everybody on this podcast is really twofolded, of course. Where do you see yourself and where do you see your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? So firstly, to see myself, I guess I would go back to the question I answered to you earlier. I I don't know if there's always a very specific position, but there are characteristics that for me make a job enticing and a position enticing. And that's that intellectual curiosity, that space for growth, as well as kind of being in a culture that affirms like who I am um, as a practitioner, but also as a person. So I think that's really interesting. As I look at branding as an industry, I think one month from now, it's still 
brands are still going to be grappling with COVID. It has not diminished. It is very central. Um, I think if anything, both COVID as well as George Floyd, there is a degree of cultural relevance that becomes very important for, for brands. And you don't necessarily have to, depending on who you are as a brand, dig deep into the dialogue, but to not sort of acknowledge it can be very challenging. Um, particularly if you're a consumer brand. So I think, you know, one month from now, it will be very much some of, be very much some of the um, the big issues that we're grappling with, which is containment of COVID. And also just looking at things around equity, equity in the workplace. And what does that look like for people of color, for women, for really any marginalized group? I think that dialogue has become you know, it sort of reached like a sort of a fever pitch in the last couple of months and it will continue in that direction. So that's the one month. You had one year. Was that the next one? One year and then 10 years. Um, one year from now, my hope is that we will be in a better place uh, with, regard, with regards to the pandemic. And then I feel like then we migrate back to some of the things that we were experienced prior, as well as some new things, because when you have this moment of great change and you're existing in it for such a period of time, new behaviors form, new expectations form. Um, So I think what's really interesting is people are expecting corporations and brands to play roles that they have not played before. Sometimes sort of having that authoritative voice that they wish they had in government And the expectation is for brand to step in and fill that role. And so I think it'll be very important for companies to really get a sense of and have clarity of who they are, what they stand for, what makes them different, but not just the articulation of a purpose, how it becomes operationalized as an organization for their people, but also rings true for their consumers. I think there is... Uh, going to be continued expectation for shared values between a brand or a company and their audience. And I think that will heighten just coming out of this year of great change and, and turmoil. And so as a result, there is, will be a need to be even more dynamic, even more agile as you think about putting out content and Uh, creating conversation and engagement. So that will be very, very important. And I think we'll see new things happen. But then the last part 10 years out is, I don't know. I think there is so much that could occur. Um, You know, who would ever think that self-definition sometimes is resident on certain brands being part of your life? And it is. You know, I have teenage boys and it was like, what will we do without TikTok? And I was like, (laughs) I don't know, like (laughs) learn a hobby, (laughs) learn to speak French, Um, uh, you know, but no, seriously, I think there is, we're living at a time where there's just rapid evolution. And so I'm not sure where the industry will be, but I do think there will be some fundamental things that don't change that you will have to have clarity for who you are as a brand, that you will have to know what are those ties for emotional engagement with your audience. And I think also you will continue to need those that clarity of story that makes you a magnet for talent, for the best talent out there. 
because ultimately a brand, a corporation is really defined by its people. And so I don't think that will change, but sort of where we go as an industry, new skills, new competencies will be required, but we will still be focused on those three things. Defining a brand, engaging an audience, and attracting like amazing talent to make that brand promise ring true. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And we're happy to have you. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation and I'm so honored to participate. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.